0: Super Talk Mississippi media production. To all the folks in the Capital City metro area, love to have you join me tomorrow morning, 6 to 9, Gallo Show. We'll start your day the informed way. Super Talk Mississippi 97.3. Putting our differences to the side and talking about something we all love. And our old man river, lavish lakes and streams, pines full of the wildest life and possibility. I said one Mississippi is a magnolia It's Super Talk Outdoors with Ricky Matthews on Super Talk Mississippi.
1: Welcome to Super Talk Outdoors, where we come to you every single Monday at lunchtime to celebrate the world-class outdoors of the state of Mississippi. Because, as I say, we are the capital of the outdoors in America. I want to thank you for joining us on the powerful Super Talk Mississippi radio network on Super Talk TV at c Spire TV, but some of you are listening on Facebook or YouTube or listening in your favorite podcast. We appreciate you joining us. We really do. And listen, uh, uh, the feedback ha- over the last few weeks has been absolutely tremendous. And I want to, I want to just welcome you. A lot of new listeners coming to the show. The numbers on the Facebook page are up dramatically, very dramatically. We've been talking about a lot of issues and we're going to talk about some more issues here in just a second. Hey, listen, uh, before we go much further, I just want to mention that my son, Jordan and uh, Marty Wilson, the famed uh, marine artist and my hunting son, Jake Carter, went offshore yesterday to the lumps off the coast of Mississippi. Uh, about 76 miles south of my house on Biloxi Bay, but obviously to get there, you don't go south from here. you got to go out the, the mouth of the bay. So we ran over 200 miles yesterday looking for tuna, yellowfin tuna. We saw one boat that might have caught one. It was pretty slow out there. and You can't keep amberjack this time of year. And uh, had a great time. We missed a really big wahoo up next to the boat. That was that was super disappointing. But it was a beautiful day. We had a little weather window. And, a, and a, another great reminder of the incredible fishery that's off the Mississippi Gulf Coast. Just incredible. Um, we had another interesting Department of Wildlife, Fisheries, and Parks Commission meeting last week. Um, quick note before I actually tell you about the meeting. At the end of the meeting, uh, Chairman Bill Kosser invited me. Uh, to an upcoming commission meeting he said it might make me smarter is, is the way he put it but if you're a regular listener to the show and you're familiar with what i've written recently you know that's really kind of a dig at me he's not happy with me because i've been talking about the issues on this show like stopping the sale and transfer of white-tailed deer my concerns about the commission and how they're managing chronic wasting disease and what i've what i've said and what i've written about uh in reference to the commission regularly breaking open meeting laws Incidentally, they broke open meeting laws again last week, talking before the meeting about how they were going to handle the CWD conversation. See, the public did not get an opportunity to hear the whole conversation, which is a statement to outdoorsmen and women that this commission doesn't want you to hear all the discussions related to the public trust. That's just a fact. And I appreciate, Mr. Koster, uh, I certainly will attend um, an upcoming meeting. Uh, But I was watching the meeting last week. I don't miss commission meetings. And you're right. They do make us smarter. They make us smarter about how the commission currently does its work. And here's a suggestion. For starters, as the chairman of the commission, I I would suggest you getting smarter about open meeting laws. I I would refer you to a discussion I had last week on open meeting laws with my friend Jim Asher. Who is a Pulitzer Prize winning journalist that posted, that, that we posted at the Super Talk Mississippi Facebook page. If you can also see that conversation at the Super Talk uh, Outdoors uh, uh, Facebook page as well. So there's a lot to unwrap about the meeting last week. I'm not going to try to go through it all today. Uh, here's, here, but here are some of the main points. Here's the headline In a CWD zone, then out of a CWD zone, then back into a CWD zone saga of the commission cwd management efforts that's a lot to say isn't it? that's a that's a mouthful they took action putting claverne county back in the cwd zone after a positive cwd test was confirmed there leonard Vince predictively voted against the motion he's the one who previously proposed a motion that that passed the commission they took Clavering county East of the center of the channel of the Mississippi River out of the CWD zone when the state CWD management plan said it should remain in the CWD zone. You can't make this stuff up, and I know that's a mouthful. Then there was a discussion about banning supplemental feeding after Bence asked the department administrator, Russ Walsh, what is the temperature in the department about a statewide ban? Uh, Some close to this say Bence was actually doing a bit of baiting of his own when he asked that question. And what Commissioner Scott Coopwood would refer to as a, a, a pause, uh, Coopwood also added that we should be aggressive about this and have the staff get back to the commission with the latest pros and cons. And then Billy Monger, uh, as he usually does, added that we know a lot already. <laughs> so, you know, I want you to watch that meeting. Go, go take a look. You can, you can get it at the, uh, at the, at the Super Talk Outdoors Facebook page, or you can go to the Department of Wildlife, Fisheries, and Parks Commission uh, page as well. If it's been posted, last I checked, it hadn't been posted yet. It's um, but stopping supplemental feeding is already a significant tool in Mississippi CWD management arsenal in CWD zones, and in states like Illinois, uh, where they've done a pretty good job of containing CWD, it's a major part of their their statewide efforts. But this is a discussion that will illuminate the growing corn culture around deer hunting in mississippi and it's an important conversation we need to have and it's long overdue there, there's going to be a lot more to say about this as we go forward and incidentally i sent benson a note asking if his question about supplemental feeding was a change of position suffice it to say he didn't answer my question he took the opportunity to attack me personally he referred to my focus on this show as shenanigans. Incidentally, shenanigans means mischief, prankiness, deceit, trickery. Nope, that's not what this show is about. A significant part of this show is about shining light on the public process of our Wildlife Commission. Mr. Bentz apparently hates light we uh, we all we all watch now <clears throat> as the Commission wrestles with this chairman Koster said during the meeting that he's not ready to vote on the issue of supplemental feeding but a short time later telegraphed he's against the ban so much for keeping an open mind and waiting on the staff of the department to uh, to do its work so mr. coster you couldn't be more right listening carefully to these meetings makes us all as outdoorsmen and women much smarter so much more to come next week. By the way, dog hunters, take note. There was an important conversation about the reduction of dog days at Sunflower uh, WMA and how that came about. Tune in next week. Um, Let me take a minute first and and before we finish this segment and just thank my sources, both inside the department and outside citizens who are really close to this. I have an untold number of people providing me information from all around this current commission. Your trust in me is is really appreciated. It really is. And believe me, I'm not going to let you down. Now let's shift gears. You know, if you look back in, in recent shows, one of the ones I really enjoyed was a conversation with my m- new friend Bo Prestige. Uh, we talked about efforts that he's involved in to give back to the community. We talked about his hunting lodge, Wildlife Incorporated, and what what they've been involved in. and And I've invited him back because he's he's, he's got a, an event that's about to come up, and we'll talk about that here in just a second. But before we do that, we'll just catch up and see what's happening with him in his in his world. Bo, how you doing? Welcome back to the show. Uh, doing good. Thanks
2: for having me back.
1: It's good to see you, my
2: friend. So, uh, how's the weather been? You know, it's been uh, it's been real erratic. One day it's seventy five degrees, seventy degrees, and now they're talking about this weekend. It's gonna be back down in the forties. So it's just up and down, up and down.
1: Yeah, Bo's, <clears throat> Bo's coming to us from the Mississippi Delta, my my home away from home. I love it up there. Uh, we have often said, Bo, that the the season was strange because of the drought. It was both the duck season and the deer season. Deer season was different for us because a lot of the bottoms that usually have a lot of water in them, um, they didn't have water. So deer had more area to roam. You had acorns that used to get spoiled quicker didn't get spoiled as quick because of, you know because of the lack of rain. It was just a strange season. I, I had an opportunity to kill my biggest deer in my life uh this year but overall it was kind of a slow season uh our duck season was pretty good you know against the standard of what other people experienced but you had a you ended the season on a very positive note didn't you my friend
2: you know we did we were very blessed uh i really was concerned because we pumped all of our water or 90 percent of it uh, you know other than a few breaks and uh we had a lot pumped up and we just weren't getting any ducks early and after Christmas, it kind of started getting a little bit colder. You know, everybody knows if you've been in the waterfowl world all your life and we've been there, you got to have those ducks. They got to migrate. I mean, they got to have the snow, the ice, the, the cover, the food up. Everything's got to push them this way. And when that weather turn got bad right after Christmas into January, when it started to freeze up, we started to get ducks. And I thought, okay, well, it's going to work. But it started freezing up real hard. So we had to go cut. Five wells on, so we kept five wells running for eight days, but it allowed us to harvest ducks because it kept open water. They didn't have anywhere to go, so it ended up being good, and we ended up with a good season for the rest of the year because they came in on us and stayed here, and we were very blessed for that to happen. Yeah, you know, I've heard reports
1: like that. I I, I remember we were we have a we have a tree farm that we lease over in Chula now, and when I went over to look at that a few years ago. Uh, it was that it was like, like toward the end of february and uh, there's an adjoining farmland that the family owns that had standing water and i took a video and i haven't seen that many mallards in one spot in a long time i mean it was there were thousands of mallards in that one little area and a reminder that the ducks still come. It's just that the that the, that the conditions have to be right, as you pointed out, north to, to push them down. Hey, when we come back on the other side, we'll continue our conversation about how this duck season went. And we'll also talk about a really, really important uh, public public service effort that Bo's in, involved with. We'll have that conversation as well. We'll see you after this break. Okay.
0: Leading the conversation on Mississippi's outdoors, it's Super Talk Outdoors with Ricky Matthews on Super Talk Mississippi. Mississippi
1: Super Talk Outdoors, incidentally, one of the uh, one of the one of the uh, memories of yesterday's fishing trip is that I reached into the bag in the center console, reached into a bag to get a pair of binoculars because I wanted to check to see if this boat next to us had a yellowfin tuna. And when I reached in to grab the the, the uh, binoculars, a very sharp knife had coming out of its sheath, and I my, the tip of my finger came in contact with the tip of that knife, and the only thing that stopped it was the bone. And it, uh, I knew when it the moment it happened that I was I was in trouble. I didn't let on to the rest of the folks on the on the boat. I'm a farmer paramedic, so. I took a, uh, I, first of all, I did the best I could to stop the bleeding. I put a butterfly on it to kind of bond it together and taped it up pretty good and covered it up and then put a latex glove on and told everybody I'll tend to it when I get home, not letting them know how bad it was. So when we got back, I immediately, uh, we loaded the rods. I brought the rods up to the house and got in the truck and, and went and uh, got it looked at. and. Four or five stitches later, it's back together and we'll move on. But, uh, you know, you, it, I, a good reminder, I always talk about safety. That was just an accident, but I have a really good, uh, first aid kit on the boat. I have, you know, that when you break that out and you have a full array of, uh, things you'll need in the situation like that, it's a really good thing. So just as a reminder, when you're 80 miles offshore, uh, and three hours from home, you you want to be really careful. That's, that's something you have to be focused on. So we're visiting with my friend Bo Prestige. Bo used to be actually in the commercial duck hunting business. Had people coming from all over the country, if not all over the world, hunted on his place. And over time, it, it kind of transitioned into sort of a private club, and he's got members that are part of his club. Along the way, he also created Beulah Land Sporting Clay, and we'll, we're going to come back to that in just a second. But you've seen a lot of changes over, over the years, haven't you, as it relates to duck hunting?
2: Oh, it's, it's unbelievable. It's unbelievable. You know, and a lot of it contributes to uh, the whole ecosystem of what's gone on. You know, you take uh, 40 years ago, this land that – uh was nothing but uh, open fields, uh, a lot of the low land was beans, soybeans, rice, crop. Uh, when it got harvested, it was late, so a lot of crop was left into the field because it was rough harvesting it, and uh, we just had a lot more food, a lot more uh, what I would call habitat for the ducks, and as time progressed, a lot of this lower land, bless their heart, farmers went out of business, they lost their land. Uh, other guys uh, with different visions came in, bought a lot of it, fish ponds and stuff, good for them. You know, they uh, created their own business and because they knew they couldn't make crops on the land because it would flood out every year. And um, uh, so it all changed. And we actually saw where we were nothing but mallards and pintails and gadwalls and the brakes to migrating into a lot of divers because of the deep water. And uh, so I've just seen the whole thing change completely in the last 40 years. Yeah, and we've seen you know up
1: in up in Canada, where the majority of our ducks come from, you've seen you know fifty uh, percent reduction in uh, in new ducks coming down, and then you add to that weather and lots of other changes. You got you got parts of the country north of us that have that are able to do corn and soybeans in areas where they normally did not do that. That sits on the ground for an awful long time. That and then when you don't get good snow coverage, you mentioned a few minutes ago. It, it all comes together to make it more complicated for us and then there's another issue that we've talked about on the show and that is that when there's a lot of farm raising of mallards these days and when they breed with migrating mallards what what results from that is a duck that's not going to migrate anymore. so we got to be focused on all these things uh, I'm thrilled that Mississippi is involved in working on habitat uh, you know in the nesting ground because that's where a lot of our ducks come from we we can't do. We need to do more there. You know, we, we can we we need to keep the focus on on those kinds of efforts. But um, it's good to hear you you find you you ended the season on a positive note. I think you described to me in a phone conversation, where it felt like the old days for for a bit there at your place.
2: Well, it did. You know, and uh, it, it kind of shocked me because, uh, and I think what it contributed to was we had the open water and um, uh, it just and we had food. That's one thing that was a big thing. You know, we always supply the food. So we, we plant and we would do a lot of moist soil and we do a lot of things like that. And, you know, before you were talking about the ducks in February. And honestly, up to within about four or five days ago, we still had a lot of ducks. And when it started getting warm, this last spell, a lot of them started leaving us. And I assume they were going north. And we still have boards in the fields because as long as they can stay, we want them to stay and an and imprint right here. And uh, yeah. for our more soil, it's very common for us to take the more soil uh, water all the way over into April, to the end of April. And uh, that's what we do to try to create the habitat and to try to create uh, the imprint of the ducks so they'll know where to come.
1: Yeah, that's you know, it all goes to the to the overall condition as it relates to the ducks and the imprint that you're talking about. You know, what happens at the end of duck season for a lot of flooded fields, the farmers have to get on with their program. And so they, they're pulling boards and habitats shrinking pretty quickly as we get well into February and into the spring, obviously. Um, it's just a, it's a complicated situation. Um, but as you pointed out, if you got good water and you got food, you got a good chance to have a decent season. I know we had a, we had a pretty decent season overall. Um, One last thing, Um, I don't even want to ask you what it cost you to pump water.
2: (laughs) I'd rather not even say because uh, we had pumps and they just, uh, now this was a very, very excessive year, but it cost us probably four, over four times as much to pump this year as it has any previous year.
1: Yeah, because the ground, man, I mean, we had the drought, and the ground was sucking it up like a sponge, and you were having to re-pump and the whole nine yards. Yeah, hey, so uh,
2: listen. Yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry. Finish. No, it, it was crazy. Yeah, so
1: Butyl Land Sporting Clay. Is, uh, is a really important area for you, uh, it's something that you've done, and you're finding ways to give back. So tell me about, you know, remind people what, what your sporting clay uh, business is all about, but then also let's kind of shift gears and talk about the, the, the imp- really, really important fundraiser that's coming up.
2: Well, of course, we built it, and, of course, you, as you know, it's, 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 uh, it's a sporting clay range. We have uh, 15 stands. We have a five-stand duck flush shoot-type uh uh created and we have ski and trap to train the young high school kids on because we're trying to get a lot of high school teams involved to come and use our facility and we're in a perfect location right up there just right off fifty five on highway eighty two. We're kinda in the crossways crossroads of North Mississippi is what I say, right dead in the middle, you know, and uh we want people to to, to come and see our, our course because it's it's un- unique It's unlike anything else. It's large, it's big, it's impressive and uh but, you know, the main focus on this thing when I did this was, yeah, we need members. Yeah, we need to make it work. Yeah, we want people shooting in the off season and training and having fun and join their families because we're trying to turn it into a venue for, for events and family events and, and, and weddings and birthday parties and things like that. But our main thing, the legacy of Beulah Land, is we want to do charity work for children in need. And so we do Blair Batson. We've been fortunate enough to do that for the last three years. And we do Delta Streets for three years now. Our big thing is coming up this is coming Saturday, March the second. For the first time ever, we're going to do uh, Catch a Dream. It's called, you know, uh, I think they've got it as Beautyland Shotgun Jamboree, uh, uh, Catch a Dream, and you can go on the Catch a Dream site and you can see what we're doing. And we've already had uh, over forty-five teams sign up.
1: This is a this is a national this is a national fundraiser, correct?
2: Correct. Correct. We've got people that are coming from multiple states. Uh, where they're going to have silent auction stuff. They're going to be bidding live, right on live. Uh, on, on, you can bid on your phone, you can bid on your computer. So it's yeah, it's people all over the United States are going to be participating in it.
1: That that is so exciting. How did this evolve? How did you get a national event at the at your at your place?
2: Well, uh, I'm good friends with a guy named Marty Brunson, who uh, is actually he is Catch a Dream and. Uh, They're always looking for ways to do things. And this is the first time I've had an opportunity to offer something to them. And uh, I thought uh, I wanted one more charity, and that was the one that we chose. And we talked to them, and and they came over, and through several meetings, they thought it would be a great idea to try to do this. And and we're having really, uh, at this point, we're having more success. And you wouldn't believe the local support. I mean, I believe it because I've always been here. I've always said these people – and Mississippi are the best, and they will help children in need. Everybody, I mean, it's it's just from individuals to businesses to to corporate businesses, and 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 that's just what we do here. And you're right. But hey, I'm so close to the Delta that you know it's just it's, it's like the Delta and the Hills, so it's really good.
1: Hey, so, uh, hey! introduce me to Marty. I'd love to have him on the show to talk about his efforts. I'm, I'm very familiar and have had folks that have been engaged in his efforts, but I'd love to have him come on and talk about oh, yeah. his efforts.
2: Yes, go ahead. Definitely. Marty Brunson, you need to meet. You need yeah. to meet. because Catch a Dream is just a great, you know, Catch a Dream is kind of a takeoff, make a wish, and they're helping terminally ill children. And, yeah. and they're and they're taking them to their last wish, you know, and boy, it's pretty sad, but, uh, it, it's great that people have the heart and the effort, and man, this guy pours his heart and soul in it, and, uh, uh, he's just, um, um, I can't say how great, uh, a, a job he does and whatever I mean, I'm just learning, even though I've been a big part, I was the founder of it, uh, uh, I've been a big part of it. It's just amazing to me at how hard they've pushed it and where it's going to.
1: Bo prestige it's been great to catch up with you, my friend. the Dr- Catch a Dream is coming up March the 2nd, this Saturday, at the Buell Land Sporting Clay uh, facility. Uh, good luck to you guys. I look forward to meeting you
2: Thank you, and I appreciate you.
1: Have a great day. Hey, listen, by the way, when we come back on the other side, we're going to talk to Ricky Flynn and get the latest on the Outdoor Stewardship Trust Fund. We'll see you after this.
0: To- this is Super Talk Outdoors with Ricky Matthews on Super Talk Mississippi. Cuts and walls
1: and fall a and a with Bo Prestige as he talks about this really important event coming on up about Catch a Dream. And I look forward to having Marty Bronson on the show to talk more about that. What a great effort. And anyone who's been involved in that, that's volunteered their time, that's taken A kid fishing or hunting, they're hooked by the process, and they understand what giving those kids that experience means. So to have a national event at uh, Bose Clay Clay uh, Shooting Facility is uh, is quite a quite an important thing. So I appreciate him doing that and and also sharing the conversation or his efforts with us. Uh, so now I want to shift gears and move over to my friend Ricky Flint, who's the project management supervisor for the Mississippi Outdoor Stewardship Trust Fund, something we've really pushed hard uh, over. Last year, you, know, you go back three or four years now, we've been uh, we've been focused on this. took two years to get through the legislature. The governor signed it into law. We formed a Outdoor Stewardship, stewardship Trust Board, and uh lots of good stuff has gone we're actually winding up year 2 of funding and we're looking to the legislature as we speak for more funding hopefully one day we can get continued funding some 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 funding that that just is built into the system and we don't have to get back to the legislature every year to to get the funding again but uh we're going to remind you about what all this is about but without any further ado let me welcome my friend Ricky Flint back to Super Talk Outdoors how you doing Ricky Hey, it's great to be here. Great to be talking about uh, the progress of this program.
0: We're
1: we're off and running. Hey, Ricky, real quick, uh, curious, You know, you spent a lifetime, it seems, in the Department of Wildlife, Fisheries, and Parks. Most recently, before you came into this role as head of the Alligator Program. You know, I've uh, I've really enjoyed over the past over two years having the opportunity to celebrate the employees of that department. But, ma'am, we're lucky to have such an incredible team of uh, professionals focused on Mississippi's outdoors, aren't we? We are.
3: Um, The technical staff that uh, occupies the Mississippi Park Wildlife, Fisheries and Parks is top-notch. We have, we, they have had a history of uh, producing some of the best science out there uh, that many other states look to, um, that our programs uh, become a model for other places to utilize, and uh, that's nothing to, to shake your head at. That's, that's that's good progress.
1: And one of those programs was the alligator program that you had. Um, you, your fingerprints are all over that program. And, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, you had a, you had a lot of fun doing that too, didn't you? Oh, absolutely. Um,
3: it was one of those things that when I, when I first got into it, uh, I didn't realize then, uh, how great it was going to be and how much fun it would be for me uh, dealing with a, a, a species that I didn't have a whole lot of experience with, but uh, found out, in, in my opinion, uh, the absolute most amazing uh, wildlife species in North America. And then to that just prospered my, my passion to do things with them, to learn more and other states. Uh, have gleaned from some of that uh, from Mississippi. Uh, other states have modeled their alligator hunting season opportunities, uh, Alabama and Arkansas, and now South Carolina is looking at it. Uh, I think even North Carolina is considering it. And uh, I've been in communication with them for many years, uh, you know, hey, how did you do this? Why did you do this? Uh, the tagging program, what did you learn from that? Uh, and uh, Lots of great things
1: coming from it. Turkeys, ducks, deer. I mean, the quality wildlife management, uh, a quality deer management effort, was born in Mississippi. You think about uh, a good history of directors. More recently, William McKinley and the work that he's doing. Uh, then you look at what the, the, the great uh, work that's being done up at Mississippi State. I mean, it's incredible what what Bronson Strickland and Steve Damaris is up to. But we're uh, we're 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 trailblazers in Mississippi in so many different ways, and it's great that you had an opportunity to be involved in that group. That's probably one of the reasons why the Outdoor Stewart Trust Fund is so important to you, isn't it? Absolutely.
3: Um, you know, this opportunity came to me, and um, while I was apprehensive about leaving something that I was very comfortable with and uh, very passionate about. Um, I saw it as an opportunity to paint a a wider swath across the state of Mississippi and efforts to do more wildlife fisheries conservation projects have more effect on the entire state of Mississippi. And and that's that's what I'm experiencing now, Uh, being able to see the number of project proposals that are coming across uh, from all corners of the state, some of them in wildlife conservation, some of them in fisheries conservation. Uh, some of that is nature-based outdoor recreation projects. Uh, it's not just hunting and fishing. It's 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 for all communities in the state. Everyone in the state who has an interest in spending some time outdoors can benefit from what the Outdoor Stewardship Trust Fund is doing, and we have to be able to thank the Mississippi Legislature and the uh, Outdoor Stewardship Trust Coalition, uh, who worked for many years uh, birthing this idea and getting support of the legislature to fund uh, this program.
1: Initially, we had $10 million. This year, we had $15 million money going to state agencies, municipalities, non-governmental organizations on public or private land. Private land is important because 90% of the land in Mississippi is private land. If we don't focus on that, habitat, enhance- habitat enhancement and things like that, we're not going to really impact uh, outdoor, the, the true outdoor stewardship the way that we want to. Real quick, the members... Of the, uh, board are Van Ray, he's the chairman of, of, the of the, commi- of the uh, board of trustees. He's from Bank of Yazoo. Denny Terrell's the vice chairman. He's with Ivy Mechanical Company. Uh, uh Colin Maloney is from Century Construction. David Holman from Ranchland e- Equipment. Drew, uh, St. John, Robert St. John, the great restaurateur in Mississippi. Uh, from Deep South Precast, Joe Cloyd, uh, from Cloyd and Associates. I know Joe, Joe really well. He used to be aide de camp for, for, uh, Haley Barber, and he's, uh, he was head of the. Uh, he, he helped put on the uh, national governors conference here in mm-hmm. the coast of Mississippi after Hurricane Katrina. He's a very successful businessman here in Ocean Springs, and then Matt Lipskin with Higginbotham Insurance. Those guys hit the ground running. They made it through the first round with a lot of celebrating, especially around the issue of matching fund, which is something we really wanted to see. And then they've already gone through round two. So. I mean, you know, when you look at the matching funds that are available, it's got to give you a warm and fuzzy that everything we hoped would happen is happening. Yeah.
3: You know, you talk about the board and their work, they, they had already worked tirelessly for months, uh, before I came on board, uh, meeting almost weekly, uh, trying to learn, you know, what all was out there, what needed to be done, how to get this process going. And, uh They did a lot of, uh, rope work, uh, getting the foundation laid. And then, uh, yeah, so, uh, looking at matching funds, uh, that is one of the, uh, bragging rights here is that, you know, the state can invest whatever amount, whether it's 10 million, 15 million, 20 million, uh, into a program. But what we're doing is we're seeking projects. That can make project proposals who already have, who already have, um, you have to excuse me. That that, that just, I'm sorry, I should have muted that. Yeah, uh, that's
1: okay. That's okay.
3: Uh, yeah. So the project, we're looking for project proposals that will, uh, bring in matching source funds, whether it is from the federal level, state level, local level, or, or private entities and in-kind contributions so that $1 spent out of the state's budget becomes $2, becomes $3, $4. We have some project proposals that are bringing in a 900 to 100,000% match with their proposals. And, uh, you know, you have to consider things like that as being very positive for the state of Mississippi. That is bringing more money More jobs, more opportunities for
1: the state of Mississippi. I I mean, I love to see you see you see local governments being involved again. Municipal, the NGOs like like uh, Wildlife Mississippi and Ducks Unlimited. The Department of Wildlife, Fisheries, and Parks has a great program. In fact, I talked about like one of the programs. We had a I was on the phone with uh, on the the show with Lake Pickle from Primos, and we talked about the need to do burning. We we control burning and. Yes, you know, I said, that would be a great program for the Outdoor Stewardship Trust Fund. And then I get a note from somebody inside the department that says, yeah, we've got a great program. And here's a link to it. But it's already beginning to be, you know, it's tentacles. The Outdoor Stewardship Trust Fund's tentacles are beginning to reach into so many cool things that are helping in, in, improve the outdoor enjoyment of Mississippians and those who come here to visit. It's, it's really awesome to see. Hey, when we come back on the other side, we'll kind of get an update on um, a little bit about the first uh, uh, segment uh, of uh, expenditures that came out of the fund. And then we'll talk about where we are as it relates to the second tranche of money. And then we'll, we'll do a quick plea as well to the legislature to say, let's not take our foot off the gas. We've got to keep moving on this. We'll see you after this break with Ricky Flint. Out
0: on the land, whistling that sweet soul for him. I said, three Mississippi to this land called home. I breathe Mississippi till I'm dead. Madison Sellers. We live in one of the best places in America to enjoy the outdoors. So let's talk about it. It's Super Talk Outdoors with Ricky Matthews
1: on Super Talk Mississippi. The one fall quick fall note. Fall We uh, we we continue to watch the Senate Senate Wildlife Committee uh, Lieutenant Governor Delbert Hoseman as we as we really focus on. The public trust doctrine that all wildlife belong to the people that came out of the House of Representatives and uh, passed the, the House, I think, 117 to zero. I think if, if my memory is correct on that, but overwhelming bipartisan support. And we look to Chairman Neil Whaley and see how his leadership is going to be on that issue. And we also need to continue to have the conversation about the, about the qualifications and the makeup of the, of the Department of Wildlife, Fisheries and Parks Commission. We need, we need them to have qualifications. And if the governor doesn't want to bring the number from five to nine, then let's just slap some good qualifications on them and move on. But we, this is a really important conversation we need to have. So we're going to be watching the Senate very closely. Okay. Ricky, coming back to you. Um, the first year was a great start, wasn't it, my friend, of the Outdoor Stewardship Trust Fund
3: it was a great start. We had 104 applications submitted, uh, in that first round and that made it very tough for the board, uh, to be able to get through that many applications and give them all the attention that they needed to be able to rank those projects. But in the end, uh, we funded 20 projects in the state with $10 million. Uh, I think it went very well. And, uh, the matching fund sources were about three to one, a little bit over three to one. And uh, so um, for $10 million, we're getting $30 million worth in the state of Mississippi and very well distributed across all regions of the state. Uh, and then here in this second round that we just uh, finished the application period and actually awarded uh, funding to those projects just February 14th uh at our last board meeting. Uh we had fifteen million dollars, which is about fourteen point seven in available funding uh for these projects. Uh we the board works tirelessly again we received 70 applications uh in this round uh very competitive again and uh awarded uh funding to 33 projects uh in this round so uh just by adding Five million dollars, we've gone from 20 projects to 33 projects. Uh, some of those, uh, fundings, uh, ranks from, uh, 2.2 million dollars for one project, uh, down to $8,700, uh, for several projects. And so, uh, when you, when you look through the ranking process, uh, it's not necessarily which project is the most expensive. It doesn't really have anything to do with it. It has to do with does it meet the criteria and the nature of what this House Bill, the Outdoor Stewardship Act, what what is it doing? Uh, is the project meeting the standards of the Outdoor Stewardship Act? And that is to to fund wildlife and fisheries conservation projects and nature-based outdoor recreation projects. And if it's doing that, then uh, then it gets the eye of the board. And now then you start looking at uh, what kind of funding is available to the outside uh, to be brought in to contribute to these projects. Where is it located in the state? How many people are gonna be affected? Um, you know, a project that is in a very small town uh, that uh, only gets a certain amount of, of visitorship uh, is not going to get uh, the attention or as high a ranking in the criteria for a project that may be regional uh, reaching or even statewide reaching. We have a number of uh, project proposals in the first round as well as in the application round in October. Statewide implications uh, that if that funding goes through, it's going to affect habitats and projects all over the state, not just in one area. And so Uh, Again, very proud to be a part of a project that is painting a much wider swath across the state of Mississippi. It's affecting a lot of communities.
1: Hey, listen, one of the things I love about it is the trustees are focused on, again, small or large, there's not a real focus that we've got to go in one direction or the other. but. A small project in a particular community might mean the world to that community, might open that community up to outdoor recreational opportunities that are very significant. Or it could be a really gigantic program that involves the entire state. Um, I think that the, the, and again, we're still waiting to see what the 33 projects encompass this time, but more specifically. This, this notion that we're going to get, try to create some diversity among the projects. We're going to have a good mix between governmental and non-governmental and private and, 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 uh, and publicly owned and small and large. There's a good focus on making sure there's a little bit of everything, isn't there? Yes. And, and if
3: I could do anything to our listeners, if you are a part of a state agency, a municipality, a non-government organization, and you've got some uh, ideas... Let me let me stress. Uh, come up with projects. Look at our uh, scoring criteria on our website and see where we're trying to lead you, uh, and meet those uh, criteria. Uh, if it's if it's a, a project, it may be a playground. It may be a walking trail in your community. But is there something you can do? To a streamside zone, to an open space, uh, These types of things that brings a lot more into the game.
1: This is Ricky Flynn on the Outdoor Stewardship Trust Fund. Thank you for joining, my friend. And uh, as I end every show, stay safe when you're in the outdoors. Stay tuned next week. We have more interesting stuff coming next week. We'll see you then. Thanks.